I just want to welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. My name is Wyatt Troy and I interview music producers and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level to get inside their heads, gather the best information, and then bring it back to you. And by the way, this is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time. If you're interested in that, there's a link in the description. If you want to see any artists come on the show, or if you have any feedback, you can contact me at Wyatt at BehindTheDaw.net. I want to welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Daw. We have a very special friend, an old instructor from Icon Collective, one of my favorite teachers there. His name is Michael Wyckoff. How you doing today, man? Good. How you doing? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. He also goes by Riot. He also did music for Pitch Perfect 3, and he has an amazing YouTube channel where he does finger drumming and light shows. He, he does it. We're going to get into a lot of stuff. You, you do a lot of stuff. Is there any big points that I've missed about what you do in the music industry? I, I think like my main focus is writing music for, uh, like you said, like movies and, and video games, but I and also like the pop music stuff that I, that I do. That's right. Um, but, but I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's basically like the gist. First off, to get you warmed up, to get you into the deep mindset, I'm going to ask some very deep questions. The first deep question I have for you is, is clapping just high-fiving yourself because you're not close enough to high-five the performer? Ooh, yeah, I, I think clapping is high-fiving yourself. What if what if it's a our sarcastic clap? Are you doing it because you're not close enough to high-five the performer or are you doing it you know, out of spite uh, towards the performer? And then is it a lack of high-fiving or is it just its own category? There's multiple dimensions of high-fives. I've never even thought about this before, but yeah, you're right. You know, because not all claps are genuine, unfortunately. <laughs> not all claps are it's like a slow people. golf clap. We'll give it a we'll give it a some of the time. Some of the time. Okay, next question. Is it true that everything in the universe is either a potato or not a potato? Yes. Is that, that is that true? That would be true. Either it is a state of being a potato or it is not a state of being potato. Can you like be Although words are just what we agree upon them being. So, I mean, if we all decided that a potato was just matter, then everything would be a potato. What? You know, because who's to say that a potato has to be? What? Are, what? Are, potatoes aren't vegetables, right? What? Are, yeah. What like are they? Legumes, I think. No, I could be making. I don't know, but whatever they are, they're definitely not. Um, but uh, they're carbs. Yeah, <laughs> they're carbs. You know, words are just what we agree upon. Do you ever think you can like be in the middle of being a potato but not being a potato? Like like where you're both? Y- yeah. Like is that even possible? Like can you be Well, are potato? french fries in that state? I don't know. Like both potatoes and not potatoes cuz they're where do you stop defining something as yeah. its original state of being? I knew I knew you would take that question down a good rabbit hole. I knew I knew I could trust you. I've been saving that one. And then finally, and now this one, this one kind of like broke my mind for like at least 15 minutes and I had to like recover from it. But if someone broke two world records and they were the first person to break two world records. So if they did that, they technically would win three world records because they would break world records and then they'd be the, and then they break another world record and then they'd be the first person to break two records. So they break three records, but then they'd be the first person to break three records. There are three world records, which means they'd have four records. And and then you just won an infinite amount of records. But is, is there an award for not like like obviously there's awards for breaking individual records but is there like a I don't, is there an award for most broken records like is that i'm assuming that you know like if you if there's an award for like the world record for the longest fingernails i'm assuming there's got to be like an award for like the most awards awarded or something like like john williams other than walt disney john williams is the most academy award nominated person Ever he's uh, John Williams right now is the most Academy Award nominated person alive. He has like forty seven or something Whoa. obscene like that. But they don't give him an award for because then what do you? Because then like I guess it's like a uh, just a kind of an agreement that that's dope. But I don't know. I'm, I could be totally <laughs> wrong. I just I I wasn't aware that that we like gave people awards, <laughs> awards for, for having awards. Awards, yeah. So let's say that one does receive an award for breaking two world records. He's the person that has the most world records in the world. Does he then have an infinite amount of awards because he keeps you see what I'm saying? Do you see how I mean if going? if that is the system that we abide by, then the first person to achieve that would be 
undefeatable because then yeah. you would just subsequently have to keep awarding them and, and that would instantaneously take them to an infinite amount of awards and then nobody could ever surpass that because they would never even if they broke let's say he like was the fastest person alive and he could jump the furthest and, and somebody surpassed him there they would still only have two awards and yeah. because he had already had the most awards and then got that you know pass it it's kind of like a business be the first or be the best but in this scenario of of awards, just be the first. Do you feel do you feel like you're in a deep mindset now? Now that we've kind of yeah, no, I'm I'm ready to go, dude. I really appreciate you coming through and doing this, and so I do do have no, a lot thank of, you for having me. Absolutely, man. So how have you been for the last year? I haven't seen you for a long time. I've been good. Just been working on music, you know, trying to make it happen, doing all sorts of stuff like we talked about. Working on video game right now. Uh, the the next um, stress level zero one. I'm just doing different pop stuff and my Riot project and, and just all that and grinding and, and making it happen. Totally, man. So the first question that I have is actually about your, your Riot thing. There's, I want to get into the other stuff a little bit later, but you know about your, your Riot project, why do you feel like people are so into like the finger drumming light show kind of thing? You know, I mean, why, why is it interesting? Because it is, but, but why do you think so? So I, I think we got to break that into two categories, like the the finger drumming aspect of it and the light show aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The reason people are into the finger drumming aspect is the same reason I was attracted to it. Like being a piano player my whole life, I, I love electronic music, but I've just never really liked DJing. I, I just, I don't want to knock anybody that does like DJing. I've just always found it really boring. And, but that's just my, my opinion on it. Like when I saw, you know, like first pop culture, you know, by Madian, but then, um, you know, my friend uh, M4Sonic's video weapon, I was like, whoa, like here's how you take, because because I'd seen like like the very first finger drumming video I ever saw. And it was probably like the first finger drumming video most people saw was, it was like Arab music doing like the Skrillex. Oh yeah. Like improv thing at like some live show and and like that went viral or like early Facebook days but I kind of was like oh that's a mashup at least from the perspective of the video because the video didn't show the complete picture so it, it wasn't like a a full song it was just kind of like this improv yeah. little segment so we didn't get to see the full picture but then with the full picture with M4 saying where it was like a full song I was like whoa this is how I really want to perform my electronic music I don't know this is just like a philosophy I have about like live music like the reason I go see a band that I like or the reason I go see an orchestra, um, there are a number of reasons, but I think one of the biggest reasons is that that performance will never happen again the way it was done uh, that night. And to me, there's something magical about that because if I'm just going to hear the song exactly the same, like I'm, I'm kind of an introverted person, um, so if I'm going to hear the song exactly the way it's, quote, performed on the master, then why don't I just like throw a party with five to 10 of my like closest friends and just listen to it on really loud speakers in my house? Like, why do I have to go pay $30 and spend, you know, if, if you drink like, you know, that that's another thing <laughs> that I've never understood, but like, you know, go spend like 10, $15 on alcohol and in front of all these strangers. And, and for me, that, that was just always like this thing where I, I was never kind of into that. For me, it was, it was like, here's this opportunity to perform in a way where I can improvise, it's live, I'm in control, and I can do something that hopefully is magical and will never happen again and and is a moment that because I, I think it's it's like this collective shared moment. I think that's what like, you know, live music it's like this you are feeding off the audience, the audience is feeding off you and you're all in this moment together. But at least the most magical moments of live music in my life were ones where I sat there and I was like, holy crap, like everyone who is not here is missing out because this couldn't possibly ever happen the same way ever again. I see. You know what I mean? And so that's what the the finger drumming aspect, right? Yeah. And and so, and and then, so, so that's what I think the the finger drumming aspect is that it's live and that, you know, you can improvise it. And I think people really resonate with that. The light aspect, I think is just Ooh, pretty. I don't know. Well, yeah, but but I don't know. I mean, we could get like super early evolution, you know, certain types of colors or <laughs> yeah, physiological kind of a thing, fruits yeah. and and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just I think it's in our nature to enjoy lights and and I've always been a uh, like a very visual oriented person. Like before uh, wanting to do music when I was a kid, like I wanted to be a film director. So kind of that marriage of audio and visual entertainment to me has always been just something I've been into. And, and so I think the light aspect, yeah, is just because it's cool. And, and it's, it's another thing to, to kind of 
keep you entertained. Um, there's this documentary that Novation is making right now. Um, I can't say too much about it, but but it's basically um, about this culture, and, th- and that's kind of like something that me and some other people were talking about is just the fact that I, I think people get it confused is that it's it's not about the lights. It's about the performance. The lights are just a bonus as if yeah. like there's a, I forget what keyboard it is. I think it's the um, Native Instruments has this like... Oh yeah, the complete control. Yeah, the complete control where the, the keys light up. Why wouldn't you want a, you know, like if I could get a Steinway that like mm-hmm. <laughs> where the keys lit up that would be amazing and and if i had the money you know i would i would do it in a heartbeat because who doesn't want that there's a reason amazon sells you know toilet seats that that are not toilet seats there's like these things you put in your toilet that light up and there's a reason people buy you know like, like led kits for their cars for the interiors of their cars because it's cool um and unless you're colorblind like my dad then you're gonna <laughs> enjoy that you know the culture didn't arise out of the lights it w- it was first the need to perform in a way that people resonated with you know what happened to the launch pad because now you're on the midi fighter what happened to the launch pad oh <laughs> um i'm definitely not switching away from the launch pad for good basically dj tech tools reached out to me uh, and they were like hey we're uh doing the midi fighter 64 because um they did that because sean kind of asked them to mm-hmm. Um, Sean Wasabi. So they reached out to me and and a couple other like people in in like the scene and and we're like, hey, you know, we're we're doing the Midi Fire sixty four. Do you want us to send you one? Okay, they did, it. and 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 it's really great, and I I love it, and and the fact that mine is is unique. Um, it's like the only one that has orange buttons. Yeah, that's cool. It is really cool. My next video is is Launchpad, and I'm I'm going back to Launchpad. I just wanted to like you know make a couple videos as like a thank you to them totally. for. Indulging me in that way, <laughs> dude. Totally. Um, you know, there's a few reasons. Like, I, I I enjoy the Launchpad better. One of the reasons is just the the functionality. Like, the Mini Fire 64 obviously has 64 buttons, but the Launchpad has more than 64 buttons. You know, it has 64 That's pads, true. but it also has the side buttons, the top buttons. Like, the way I set up my routing is I always use the side buttons as like macro and bank switches. I had to on the Mini Fighter um, songs. I had to use one of the well, it was like three or four of the um, 64 buttons that I normally just use for sounds as bank switches. And so, you know, that that's less functionality there. Another thing is I'm just so used to square pads. Don't get me wrong. I love like the action of the MIDI fighter. I think the action of the MIDI fighter is much better than the action of, of any of the launch pads. Similar to how, you know, like a Steinway, the action on a Steinway is better than the action on a really crappy, you know, MIDI controller. Totally. So it's it's been like six years now, and and I'm just so used to that. You know, like a big part of playing any instrument is muscle memory, and so in my my mind, playing on the corner of the pad is like not only acceptable; it's actually like a technique that I develop in like certain situations to you know just do stuff and. And when it's a circle, if you play in the corner, you just play in the middle of nothing. And so (laughs) basically, like, I I find myself missing Mm -hmm. on the MIDI fighter, where I would never do that on the launch pad. So obviously, you can train yourself to not do that. So for the reason of that, for the reason of the less functionality, I I definitely, like, for shows and stuff and for future videos, I'm going to be sticking to the um, launch pad. But I I just really appreciate uh, DJ Tech Tools sending me, you know, that one of a kind midi fire in the first place because they didn't have to do that. Yeah, that that is, that is really really cool. For those who are listening and uh, and who have not experienced the amazing finger drumming videos that that Mike puts out, go check them out right now on his Riot channel. But on there and on your uh, on your videos, you know, you you like the I think the last one was in China, right? Like a um, in China. the last one was in the Philippines, Philippines. but but um I I did do a behind the scenes thing ah. and to get to the Philippines, we had to go through China. That's right. That's right. You, you've done it um, in multiple places. So I guess my, my question is, what's the most dangerous situation that you've done that in? The most dangerous situation I've done that in is definitely the next video that I'm putting out. Ooh. So basically, I, I have this video um, that has been done for two years now. Um, and I'm just, I've been waiting for certain um, situations in my career to kind of resolve themselves and and kind of be in the right situation to put this video out because I, I really believe in the song. The the video we filmed in me and my friend Ryan 
Um, he, he helped me out because we, we went to uh, Hawaii together, specifically the island of Kauai. We, we filmed in a bunch of different locations um, in this cave, on this cliff, you know, all, all over the place. And and the, the most dangerous one was definitely there's a so, so this next video I did a little differently. Normally, it's just one location for a video, but I, I wanted to try something new. So this one, we actually did four locations, five locations in one video. And one of the locations is this waterfall in Kauai. And there are literally signs that say, because basically you can't get down to the base of the waterfall because it's a, it's a cliff. Um, and there are signs that say like, you know, don't do this, like people die, you know, just yeah, danger. Yeah. Um, so we ignored them and we decided to like rappel down to the base of the waterfall with ropes with a backpack full of really <laughs> launch pad gear. gear. <laughs> basically got to the base of this waterfall and it's the coolest shot that i've ever done ever i in my opinion like uh, maybe minus like there's a few like really cool but i i just like love the shot because it's like the amount of effort like like you like the last the philippines one like the amount of effort that went to that was insane too because it's like you know you got to go to china and then you got to go to the philippines then you got to take another airplane to this other island in the philippines and then you got to take like a 6 hour bus ride to get to this you know remote location and then you got to like rent a boat to you know and then have these guys like so it's just like so much like effort but this one was effort in a dangerous way and i yeah. i i wasn't going to do it the reason i wasn't going to do it is because we 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 filmed that the day of our flight back to la and the flight back was at 6 p.m. I just was afraid that we would like get stuck down there. Like I, I wasn't afraid we were going to die. Yeah. Like I was just afraid that, Oh, we would get stuck and we would miss our flight. So that was, that was my fear. Um, my friend convinced me like, no, we can definitely make it. And you're going to, you're going to get back to, if you don't do it, you're going to get back to LA and you're just going to sit there with regret. And that's just something that I'm not okay with <laughs> Yeah, is, is, you know, like regret, like, Oh, what if we did it? And I don't regret it. Had we died, I would have regretted it. <laughs> But um, yeah, so that's definitely the most dangerous one. You keep talking about you love the marriage of, of visuals and audio. It's amazing what you're doing with that. I mean, you wrote music for Pitch Perfect 3. How was that, by the way? It was good. <laughs> it's because uh, I'm so I, I wrote, um, I, I worked on a couple of the tracks, um, Freedom, Toxic, and this other one. Because I, I also, in the movie, there's this scene where Anna Kendrick does the uh like like does this like launch pad segment it's interesting because i'm like credited two different ways um in the soundtrack i'm credited as michael wyckoff as a musician in the actual movie i'm credited as mike riot as an ableton consultant <laughs> somebody goofed but but i i guess they didn't know how to like consolidate like my two completely different jobs in that but it was cool i you know the the working on the music thing was just like anything else. It, it's it was very different than like some of the actual like full movies I've scored by myself because mm -hmm. like those are that's like you know you have like two weeks to do an hour and a half of music, whereas this was kind of just like okay yeah you're only doing like three songs. So not that it's like a take your time type thing, but it's not like I'm a fraud. How do I get this done? I, I feel like I, you know I feel like I've I've talked to a lot of people about that and I've I've like looked at a lot of interviews and I feel like that that feeling of like how how on earth am I supposed to do like when you're doing a whole movie. Like, how on earth am I supposed to do this? But what I thought was cool, but I was like a little naive in this, um, was I thought like, I knew I was working on the music. Uh, they called for the, the Launchpad segment. They called me and they were like, hey, um, you know, we need you to program a Launchpad performance of this song. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, it was the, I, I totally don't remember what it was called, <laughs> but I remember what it sounded like. Like Anna Kendrick starts out like beatboxing and then it has like these, Ah, uh, uh, like these weird, like um, it it turns into the freedom finale, but it's it's um, it's like this early version of that in the movie. But basically, they called me and like, hey, we need you to do this. And I was like, okay, cool. When? And they're like, five a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, but it's I, I didn't say this, but in my head, I'm like, but it's seven p.m. now, and normally it takes me like a couple days to do this. It was just freaking out. I got it done, but only because um, if if anyone out there um is familiar with the finger drumming community, like Nev. Um, mm -hmm. helped me out a ton in terms of basically like I programmed like all the sound like I was like yo like because it's literally impossible like nobody could have literally what they asked is literally impossible um, to do from scratch so basically in, in the amount of time so Nev sent me a bunch of his lighting presets so uh, basically I didn't have to code the light element like I still had to program it but I didn't have to like make the patterns 
from scratch, which yeah. would have made the task impossible. Uh, the deadline was six. I got it to them at five thirty, and then they and then I went to sleep, and then they called me at seven asking me how to set up Ableton. So, <laughs> so that was a ton of fun. Um, but <laughs> jokes aside, though, like I don't blame them like for not knowing. It wasn't that they didn't know how to set up Ableton. It was it was that they didn't know how to set up to get the lights to work. Um, Nev and um, our friend Luke coded this Max for Live plugin that's uh, like only he and I have, and it just makes programming the light portion. The the sound portion is still like tedious, um, but the light portion, which used to take days and days and days and days and days, now you can get done in a few hours. Oh, not so a few good. hours, like, you know, a day. So I don't blame them for not knowing how to do that because it's like literally two people in the world have this program and it's not intuitive yeah. at all. So, totally. so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not blaming them by any means. It was just, I was just kind of like, oh, great. I, I got an hour and a half of sleep and I got to do this and then I got to go, you know, go to Icon. So, <laughs> so, so that, was a, that was a tough day. Which brings me to the, you getting a freaking platinum record. What? So yeah, I've been, I've been doing a lot of like pop stuff lately and a lot of uh, K-pop stuff lately, uh, specifically with like uh, SM Entertainment. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that just be, because it's like, I, like I'm, not a, I'm not a pop star. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't like sing. Like in 2018, getting a platinum record in America, you really have to be at the absolute peak. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you have to be a Bruno Mars or yeah. a, you know, in the EDM space, like a Chainsmokers or a Zed or something. So in America, you know, unless unless the Riot project takes off significantly, um, and and you don't get like platinum records, you know, for film, like that's not a yeah thing. So like, if I scored, you know, the next Star Wars or something, like like with with the like American pop stuff, it's like you really have to be at the pinnacle, um, just because culturally people don't buy music in yeah. America, and the streaming equivalent to get a plat a diamond is one point five billion, and platinum is seven hundred fifty million because it's it's like seventy five million is gold. What? Because like gold is five hundred thousand sales, and I forget like how many streams is a is the equivalent of one sale. But but normally you would have to sell five hundred thousand to get gold, and streaming seventy five million is the equivalent of that. So if you just somebody out there do the math on that. But whoa, I what really? I didn't realize that. But the thing is, like in Korea, people still buy music, which that's, is great. Like so the the uh, the platinum records for. I wrote, or I, I should say, I, I produced with, with a bunch of other people. Like, like that's why it was like a team thing. Like me, you know, Harvey Mason Jr., Dwayne Whitmore, um, J.Q. Smith, like Britt. Like I, I did the track, but like you know, like without the vocal. So it's it's, a, it's always a team thing, and 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 basically, uh, it was it was on this EXO album called The War, and it sold eight hundred thousand copies in presale. Culturally, there's something very very different about Korea, and and I really. I'm grateful for that, that the mindset still exists somewhere in the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. What? I'm still kind of mind blown about like the, the equivalent of like buying an album versus streaming. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's like 500,000 is gold. Um, um, a, a, uh, excuse me, a million is platinum and then 10 is diamond. And that's selling records. That's selling records. Yeah. yeah. And if, and if, uh, and then streaming at 75 million, 750 million and 1.5 billion. And to put things in like perspective, like if we're talking about like selling diamond in America, like not streaming, cause obviously like now and, and albums are different than singles. Like, um, I could be wrong, but I, I think the last album that went diamond in America, if we're just talking about sales, was like Adele's 21, which oh. was what, like six years ago or something? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. So it's been a like obviously cultural norms have changed and, and um, you know, the way people consume music has changed. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But like, here, here's what I think is wrong with it. The, the, it's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with streaming. It's just, the fact that the model hmm. is is not the same because it's the major labels have made deals with Spotify, um, you know, to basically lower the royalty rate because basically, like, uh, I, I'm sure, like a bunch of people listening are aware of this. Um, the major labels made a deal with Spotify that basically said that, like, okay, you don't have to pay us as much in like licensing fees as long as we can get equity in Spotify. So basically like, you know, Universal, Sony and Warner were basically like, yeah, I know you can give us our artists less as long as we 
like own a piece of Spotify, like in equity. And so like, you know, they, they kind of made that deal and, and at the detriment of the artists. And, and so it's a different, you know, obviously you can still make a lot of money with streaming, but the, the sell like the, the physical sales equivalent it, it's no contest it's still no contest and unless the model changes given the you know the current deal that the majors and spotify have made it won't be you know now obviously there you know you open yourself up to a global audience but again it, the the rates aren't comparable with what they would be with physical sales i guess like the real tragedy with this is that they could be they could be comparable but but the the record labels kind of swooped in and freaking record labels man I think there's pros and cons to major labels, but they they definitely are a business and and aren't yeah. always in th- their interests aren't always aligned with with art. Yeah, and you can't blame them. It's a business. It you is know, a business. But, you're right. Because you're right. Because I'm looking at it through the eyes of an artist right now, and I'm like, that's just that's so messed up. But you know, if you look at it through the eyes of a businessman, it's like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have asked for more. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like if you're if you're looking at it from from the perspective of art, it's terrible. From the perspective of business, like, yeah, that was a a, a good move. It just sucks when it when it is art that that we're dealing with. You know, it's it's like if if the equivalent was like metal or something, like yeah. you know the the manufacturing of metal, then like nobody. I was gonna say like you know farm animals, but then you know we, we different opinions. But like you know like the manufacturing of metal, and it's an abundant metal, and you know the manufacturing of that metal doesn't impact you know a community or the earth or anything. Then yeah, no, like make more money. Like nobody cares. But but when other people's lives. Are affected yeah. by this, you know, it's it's a little, it's a little different. But but again, you can't blame them. So kind of stepping back, looking at the overall picture, you making music, you you doing you know movies and so on and so forth. I kind of feel like you have a very special uh, perspective on what's going on in the music industry. Um, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot of icon as well as talking to people outside of icon and stuff like that. When it's, when you're kind of within a bubble, yeah. When you're in a bubble, it's really hard to see what's going on inside that bubble. And so you, like, I have this image in my mind of you, like you perched up on a wall and you can see all the bubbles and you can kind of see what's going on inside of each bubble. And so you have like really good perspective to know how to. Or like, I, I try to. Yeah. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, my perspectives align with reality. Yeah. But, you know, but but you never you never can know. You know, like no one can predict the future. Yeah. But, exactly. But, so what what are you seeing inside? Let's 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 focus on the EDM bubble. You know, like you looking inside of there, and you kind of having that perspective. And what what are some of the things that you see? It's like, man, I see a lot of people struggling with these things inside this bubble. And right, you know what I mean. Um. Well, I think EDM is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Right. People like to dance. People like to have a good time. But I I think and and I don't want to like hurt anybody's feelings. I think like if you if you look at like the the boom of EDM in, you know, like 2011. I think a big portion of that, like obviously was due to Skrillex and and people like him who, you know, were were presenting these sounds that the world had never heard before. The thing about that is the novelty wears off. And I'm not saying that sound design is not amazing because it is, you know, a piano is technological sound design. You know what I mean? It's totally. like before we had the piano, we had the clavichord and the harpsichord and the clavichord and the harpsichord don't sound anything alike. And before somebody invented the saxophone, you couldn't get a, yeah. musically, you couldn't produce that that like sonic palette. So totally. I'm not saying that sound design is not awesome. It's, it's just, I think a lot of people forget that the musical aspect, the melody, the harmony, the lyrics, the songwriting, there's something... And we can get like philosophical on it, you know, but like storytelling and, uh-huh. and conflict resolution and all that. But like there's that there's something about that that's like built into human nature that is never going away. And so even though like the novelty of certain types of sounds as well, basically what I'm saying is like if you are relying solely on novelty of sounds in spite of a lack of musicality in terms of songwriting or composition, then I think you're going to be left behind. I, and I could be wrong. You know, maybe there's this new technique that comes out where people are like, whoa, this, I've never heard this before. But at least from my perspective now, like I'll, I'll listen to, you know, drum and bass and I love drum and bass, but like it's, you know, the, the, it'll be like a neurofunk thing and, and the reefs will be like slightly different. And it's like, yeah, it's slightly different, but it's not like so novel that it was like when I first heard Cohen Sound or something where I was like, what the heck is going on? You know what I mean? Totally. So, but that being said, like Cohen Sound, I think is still amazing because, you know, their their stuff is still very, very musical. They're, they're complete songs. And I don't want to like name 
anybody else who I think is the opposite of that, but I think there are other people in bass music where they're not interesting as a song. And, And the sound design is cool, but it's not sound design that I haven't heard before, if not slightly different. So I'm not saying like, just go make abandon what you like but i but i think it's important to think back to the music that you liked when you were a kid and and obviously some people some of the people that are like listening to this you know are are like younger than i am so maybe like when they were six like they grew up on rhythm you know (laughs) that's that's like a i'd love to like study the psyche of that kid when they get older but but basically like for me it wasn't that you know for me it was like queen and billy joel and the red hot chili peppers and Hmm. the beatles and and you know, uh, just, I mean, it was all over the place, sure. but like, but the, the, the point is like songs will never go to fashion. So I, I think if you can, and I love sound design, then present it in a way where the musical portion of that is timeless. You can listen to it 10 years later and it's still a great song and it hasn't, obviously everything will, will age a little bit, but yeah. I would still listen to stuff from the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, that is still good because it's it's still a good song. I don't care if I listen to a song from the 50s and I'm like, why is, you know, the lead guitar panned all the way to the right? You know, like that doesn't bother me. You know, and I I made this like realization like for a couple of reasons. One, like with the Riot Project, I was like, you know, I kind of had this mindset, like everything has to be a banger. And, you know, I would make a banger and then like a couple of years later, I would be like, oh, this is kind of, dated you know and, and and it depends on the song because like if, if it was still like a good song then it would still be cool but like when it, for example like woo boost like you go back and you listen to woo boost it sounds super dated and in 2000 and i don't know was that nine ten mm. whatever um that came out that was like a, a banger but like as a song and i'm not knocking rusco you know it's just there's a lot of people that i could say the, the same thing for yeah um i don't think as a song it holds up you know it's kind of like this this nostalgic like oh remember that but but it's like you you don't you know I don't know that's just my opinion but another reason I, I think is is because I, I think you know writing songs is is important is is because I, I think a big part of music the re- one of the reasons I think people like music is because it helps them relate what they're going through in life and when something uh, dance music because again like people like to dance people like to party that's never going away I don't think it should go away I think you know part of life is to have a good time if you're an artist and so i'm speaking to the artist right now um and and i'm sure a lot of you are going to agree with me on this when i say that when you only make one type of music and it's the same type of energy that's not how life is you know what i mean life isn't always this high energy state of being where everything's like you know just a party you know some we need songs that are sad we need songs that are about love we need songs that are about death we need songs that are about being friends we need you know like different types of songs and so obviously you can say okay well there are other people that are going to make those songs and i think that's right yeah there are totally other people that are going to make those songs but why not do it in a why not present it in a package that is part of who you are as a person like if you love dance music why not present that package of a song that's about love or death or whatever in you know in a way where it's it's still dance music, but it, but at the same time, it's a song and it's not just, because basically like what I see a lot of is I'll like go through SoundCloud and it's basically like, let's get to the drop. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's like the rest of the song. And, and I mean that in the nicest way, I'm not like knocking there. Cause, cause you can tell it's, it's literally like filler to get yeah, to the drop. Yeah. And then the drop is super cool. And then there's more filler. Um, and then it's the next drop and then we're done. And you know, there's a reason SoundCloud, I forgot what year it was, as an April Fool's joke, a button that was like, here's if you want to skip to it. You know, you could like click a button and skip to the drop because basically like SoundCloud looked at like where the like the first initial loud moment of like peak RMS was and they were like, Oh, that must be the drop. Hit this button, we'll just skip to the drop for you because we know that's what you're gonna do anyway. Because we looked at our algorithms and we saw that that's what everyone in dance music was doing anyway. Because again, all the songs were like filler up until the drop. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is like don't let any section of your song be filler. And I'm guilty of this, you know, in, in, in my dance music project. I'm very guilty of this um, on, on certain songs. And, and, you know, I think those were decisions I made based out of fear. And, you know, you can't make decisions out of fear. <laughs> so, oh, I don't know. You, no, no, nobody listening to this has to agree with me on that. But that's just my, my perspective on that. So, I, I think, like, 
you know, if, if I was perched and, and looking at the dance music world, I think if you want to succeed in dance music in 2018, then you have to be making songs that not only are can can do what because because like you don't have to be a dance music artist but if you are i think they have to be songs that work well in a a a live edc coachella setting but also songs that people are going to want to listen to in the car and not just going to skip to the drop totally basically because if if your song is a skip to the drop song the only setting that it it's gonna you know make sense in is a live setting because then people are just going to double drop it and they're going to go from somebody else's intro which is really good and actually a good song to your drop which is really good but nobody's going to want to listen to that while they're doing their homework or, or driving with their friends to wherever but you can see yourself perched too like you can picture that <laughs> i mean no because because i feel like that would be like super arrogant if, if i thought that like i know everything i, I definitely don't and no, I, I definitely it, it. it well let me put it this way if i knew everything then i would be headlining edc and i'm not i definitely don't know everything but but i think being around like certain people in the industry and, and doing a bunch of different things and not being, I, I guess like it's not that I'm perched. It's just that, like you said, because I'm not so in only the yeah, bubble yeah. of dance music and I, I, I can see a bigger picture. I don't see the whole picture obviously, but I, I see a bigger picture and I'm, and like not all my friends make dubstep or not all my friends make, you know, future bass or whatever. Yeah. Um, because I feel like you are, and this is obvious, and this has been said a million times by a million different people, but I really believe that you are who you surround yourself with. Um, and so if you surround yourself with people who think that they don't care about the song and, and it's all about the sound design and, and skip to the drop, then then that's what you're going to do in your own music. A one point that I didn't touch on is is it also depends on where you want to be. Uh. And that, you know, that is only a decision that you can make. You know, what is... To, you have to define success for you. And so if success for you is just playing a few shows a year and you know building a social media presence and, and that's it, there's literally nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that hard to do that. But if you want to, I guess if you want to stand the test of time and be at that top tier, yeah. then you really have to make songs that are not just a flash in the pan, you know, the current trend, and and then obviously you're like the certain elements of the song are always going to be the current trend. You know, like I'm not saying if you go back and listen to, I don't know, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, that certain elements of that aren't going to be dated. But at the end of the day, that's a good song. Certain production elements of like, you know, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, that's a really good song. And, you know, certain elements of that are going to sound dated in terms of the production. So, you know, I'm not saying like in 2016, if you made Future Bass, that was a good idea. But like, look at like, you know, never be like you. That's a good song. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you produce that with just piano and vocals, it would still be a good song. I think you want to use sound design as a tool, unless of course there, you can always just make bangers. Like, like there's nothing wrong with making, you know, bangers, but, but I, I I don't think every song should be a banger. I I think you want to make songs that at the end of the day, you can put it with a vocal and a guitar or a vocal and a piano and it would still be good and people would still want to listen to it. Um, and, and not everything has to have a vocal too, but, but you get what my point, like, I like do. the, the underlying composition, like for example, um, like Haywire's second album, like there's a bunch of songs on that that don't have vocals, but the underlying, I think there's one that's like, I forget what it has like this really cool, like vocal chop thing. And then, and then in the second drop, it like modulates like a whole step or a half step or something. But, but if you took that and you played it on a piano or a guitar, it's still interesting. So, I see. you know, I, I guess don't let sound design be the, let sound design augment your songwriting and your composition. Don't let it be the crutch. The replacement of it. Yeah. Again, like unless the song is supposed to be a banger and the whole purpose, because there's not like every song has a purpose. And, and so if the song, the purpose of the song is to be a banger, then then dope. But I, I just see a lot of artists where every song and I'm guilty, like, uh, you know, you, every song has to be just like banger. And it's kind of like this skip to the drop thing. So if you're going to do that, then at the very least, don't have it be skip to the drop. Mr. Mike, what has been the deepest thought that you've had in the last year? <sighs> I don't know if I could say it's the deepest, but it's it's definitely helped me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a little dark, but hopefully Ooh. hopefully this can, you know, help somebody. But basically, a lot of people like I think are afraid of death and I think a lot of people 
hope that music can bring them like this, not immortality, but just like this along. Cause you know, it's, it's like the saying is, is like, you know, you, you live as long as people that remember you. And so, you know, even if all of Michael Jackson's relatives die, if we still remember his music, then, you know, he still lives on yeah. in that way. But you have to come to a realization that no one's music is going to stand the test of time exactly. over a long enough period. In 300 years, no one will remember the Beatles or Skrillex or Michael Jackson. And I would put money on that. And so then you kind of are like, well, why does it matter? And I think it does matter because the because because then you have to take that that away from this this kind of after I'm gone thing and more of in this moment that I'm here thing. Because it, because it's like if you take it away from you, right? It's not about you. It's not about you living longer than through memories and through your music. Then it's about other people. As long as I impact other people, but those people are going to die. Are going to die too. So it doesn't matter. And I think it does because again, it goes back to what I was saying. All that matters is right now. And I think if you can, even if you're going to die and no one's going to remember you or your music, and the people who liked your music when you were around are going to die and they're not going to remember you or your music because they're dead. All all that matters is you made their life better right here and right now while they were with us. And I think that's all you can do. And I think that's all you can expect. And I, I think that if you if you go in with that, because again, I, I was talking about like fear-based decisions musically and I'm, I'm very guilty of that because, you know, it's like money and, and you know, wanting like a certain level of success and, and you know, all, and providing for a family and all that stuff. But, but I think if you like go away from that and, and then you just realize all you have with your music is this current moment to change somebody's life as they are living it right now. And that's the only thing. And, and obviously, you know, you, you want it to help you out as well. Like, like I really strongly feel that everybody should play an instrument. Um, I feel like if everybody played an instrument, there would be less issues with mankind. Cause I feel like a lot of issues are, are, you know, could be like result. I'm not like, I'm not naive, I, but like a lot of issues could be helped if more people saw therapists, for example, for me, piano helps in that way a lot. I see. Like what I mean is, is like, obviously your music, you know, is, is cathartic. It, it helps you deal with the stress of life. And, yeah. and so obviously your music is going to help you in that way too, but it's also gonna help other people. And that, and I guess that's what I was getting at earlier with, with like the music having like different types of music belong to different moments in life you know like you remember when you're like a a dumb kid in middle school and and you know something stupid like really upset you and then you would listen to like this really sad like green day song and <laughs> you know and and that would like get you through that or or you know you were like having a really good day and then you were just listening to like you know saturday in the park by chicago just like walking along you know having a good day so so like music really has that power to to augment or to kind of be a catharsis for like augment positive emotion and be a catharsis for negative emotion. I, I think you have to take it away from the fear of mortality and just take it to an in the moment. And that's another thing I think is important is, is the journey. And that's back to the in the moment thing is, is like, you know, like with the platinum record, for example, like I did this to myself where like when I got it, I wasn't insanely happy. Um, because I thought that it would be this big moment, like a lot of the stuff, like doing my first, you know, feature film by myself, you know, scoring my first video games. When I like look back on like all the milestones that I've had so far, because I was anticipating this big emotional payoff and I didn't receive it, it was kind of like, well, then that's not it. There, there must be something more. But, but then you realize, no, like if I look back when I was making the song that got me the record or when I was making the songs the, or when I was, you know, hanging out with the people and we were collaborating on this that was a good time. I had so much fun there. So you really have to, I think, enjoy the journey. And um, going back to what I was saying about music for other people and and realize that your music is going to help them on their journey. And I think unless you're playing shows or you're getting emails from fans or meeting fans somehow, like it's not apparent to you that your music is doing that. You know what I mean? Because it's like you put, you make this music in a bubble and given the current age of the internet, like you, you put it out and then uh, depending on the situation, like that could be it. And, and you don't see that one time where somebody, you know, just broke up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they were listening to your song and it really made a difference. So that time when somebody's mom or dad died yeah. and that made a difference or that time when somebody like got into college and they like jammed your song all the way home. You know what I mean? You don't see any of the pros or any of the, uh, any of the positives or any of the negatives 
as they relate to your music, but they definitely exist. And and so you just kind of have to realize that like if you're not meeting the fans or, or or you're not playing shows yet or you're not you know people aren't sending you emails like wow you know you have to realize that that is a thing totally. um and it's happening and and you are making that impact and and I think there's something powerful in that cuz it's like when you when you if you're a doctor right like you know you just saved that guy's life yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was going to die yeah <laughs> you know he just got hit by a car mm. and you just operated on him and he's alive obviously being a doctor is very difficult but I, but I just mean you there is that instant knowing of I changed somebody's life. And and yeah. and I think that's like part of like like there's a lot of studies that are being done on like what do millennials want out of life? And you know, one thing that they want is to feel like they're making a difference. Like like for example, like teaching at Icon, like, you know, like I had somebody after a final the score come up to me and be like, Mike, you were like the best teacher I ever had. And you know, I, I thought he meant like music, but he like meant no, like no, like any kind of teacher. And that felt really good. You know, I, I think there's something about helping other people or, or just making an impact on people that I think most people strive for. And that's, that's the root of, you know, making a difference and, and meaning in work. And, and, and like, that's where that kind of comes from. Yeah. You have to realize that that's what your music is doing. Bottom line. I've never, I've never put one and two together here before, but I think you're right. It's like, not only just in, in the music industry or in EDM, but like kind of in humanity in general is that you're right. We, you know, at this current state, we can't achieve immortality, but we kind of have this idea that we can kind of... Would we achieve. want to though? We could get into that conversation Yeah, yeah too. exactly. <laughs> but, you know, up into up to like right now, you can kind of create a pseudo immortality. But then it doesn't even matter. Yeah, that's what I'm that, saying. That, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm getting at is that like, most people want that, but it's like, I, I get that you want that, but I don't think you understand like the, the uselessness of that. Or it's like, completely useless. Yeah. Yeah. The unfulfillingness of that. You know what I mean? Cause like you are already immortalized in a lot of different ways by influence. Um, what you have done to this world, it doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been in the world or what you've done inside of the world. You have caused so much influence that that influence will radiate out until the end of the earth. My 16th great grandpa had no idea that, you know, however many years later, Wyatt Christensen was going to be here on a laptop talking to Mike Wyckoff, who probably is the same 16th grandson of said great grandfather. You know what I mean? Like there's no way that his influence, that he could have known that his influence was going to radiate clear down into here. And it's this, it's the same with us, you know, like in some fashion, we're already immortalized, but just people remembering you, like it's, it's, it's useless. It's not going to make you happy. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of people already know who you are and are, are you happy now? You know, I'm sure you're happy, but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. No, yeah. I, I, again, it, it's, it, this is like super philosophical, but again, it, what's going to make you happy is, is the journey and, and making yeah. other people happy. You know, whether those other people are your family, whether those other people are complete strangers, you are not going to find like happiness in, in selfish action. Cause, cause it's like, you know, the thing that like money can't buy happiness. And I, I think, in a way that's wrong and in a way that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know I'm not going to name anybody, but I know a certain artist who turned down seventy thousand dollars to like she, they were going to give her seventy five uh, seventy thousand dollars to wear this company's clothing at this performance, mm-hmm. um, and she turned it down because she thought it was a bad look for her brand. And, and you know, there, there's like uh, all that kind of nonsense. But it's like, well, you know what would have been a better look for your brand? You looking bad with those clothes, and then you donating seventy thousand dollars to like you know kids in a third world country, uh-huh. you know. So from that perspective, money can definitely buy happiness, you know, because it, it's like there's there's the the studies that like once you meet that certain threshold, like I think in America it's like what like eighty thousand a year or something like, something that. like that. You know, it's it's not going to like augment your happiness any further because because like there's Maslow's pyramid, right? And yeah. and it's like you know certain basic needs have to be met. So if you're making ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah, no money is going to buy happiness because you're not your basic need, human needs are not being met. Totally. But once you're past that threshold, then if you're still unhappy, then then something else is the cause of that. Part of what can you know help that is you know providing value to other people and and you know back back to the like what do we want in our jobs? Yeah, and, honestly though, would you want to live forever? Like, would you want to be immortal? I would want to live longer. I would uh, definitely want to live longer. But this this like goes into like, like, but what and what is longer? Like, you know, um, but I definitely would not want to live forever. And I was watching this, I think it was CGB Grey. Um, I was watching this oh, YouTube yeah. video that he did. Cause he's like all about like being immortal. He's like all about, I want to live forever. I know. And, and like, I normally agree with everything he says. I think he's a brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. And he did this video about like more immortality. And he's like, the only reason you want to, you don't want to be immortal is because 
you know, that's that like that's kind you, of an indoctrinated. That, that's not possible for you, so you don't even want to entertain the idea. And he, and he expands upon that that thesis further. But I was sitting there, I was like, I don't agree with you at all. Yeah, because it's like I don't like with music. Like I talk about this a lot at Icon. For those of you guys who aren't aware, um, I teach like music theory and composition and keys at Icon, uh, Icon Collective. And basically, one of the things I talk about, and and music theory has always been my shtick. Like I've always loved mm-hmm. music theory, but the, like one of the first things I say is it's complete nonsense. It doesn't exist. I clarify by saying I'm not saying you shouldn't learn it and that it won't change your life because I use it in my music all the time. But you have to realize that C major, a, a C major seventh chord is not a thing. A C major seventh chord is the name we have assigned to four specific pitches. And, 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 you know, so, so one thing I talk about all the time is all that matters is conflict and resolutions, uh, conflict and resolution, consonants resolving into dissonance, going back into consonants. You know, that's why we like stories. If you saw a story and the whole story was somebody at an airport watching paint dry, a movie, uh. I should say, and that was the movie, nobody would watch that. You know, we need conflict um, of some sort. And the conflict doesn't have to be this, like, insane villain, you know. Yeah. But, but like, conflict can be anything from... If you're watching a documentary, there's always, like, conflict. You know, it's like, who's... It's a documentary about Big Pharma or a documentary about whatever. Or if it's, mm-hmm. you know, a documentary about somebody overcoming something, the conflict is still the things they overcome. So, musically, that's, that's like, we, we really like conflict and resolution. You know, if, if we were really getting into it, I'll show you, like, examples where it's, like, Basically, once you start doing certain things in a jazz context and, and more of a, a, a modern classical um, composition context, common practice like 1800 to like, you know, or excuse me, like 1600 to like 1900 music theory and tonality breaks down and doesn't make any sense given what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so when physics breaks down, so to speak, you know, music theory, the physics of music, like it's not really, you know, but like breaks down, then we have to ask ourselves, well, then what is fundamentally true? And all that is fundamentally true in music is, in my opinion, is conflict resolution. And so I I kind of, in life, I kind of look at all of life like that as like this binary like duality kind of conflict resolution thing. And I feel like you, like you ask a lot of people, like, like, why do you want to be successful? Um, or you, why do you want this? Or why do you want that? Part of it, I think has to do with, with the fact that you want it before your time is coming and, and you pass away. And if you never have to face that, there's zero urgency. And I, I think if, if there's zero urgency, then not only will there, there be zero urgency, but there also will be zero meaning. Right, because it's like if if you live forever, why do anything other than just survive? Then there's no reason to do anything other than survive. If you're gonna live forever, then all you need, and and a lot of people actually that's their lifestyle, and and that's actually I think a very healthy lifestyle. I, I don't know. I'm I'm very much like about either going like all in or uh, like in one way or the other. Like either I think you should be, and this is my perspective like on life. You know, I think I think you should either be very ambitious and try and change things for you and your family and for other people and and just you know the common good or I think you should like enjoy life to the fullest and at, without b- it being at the expense of others. I, I do want to note that like we, at least from my personal definition of immortality in this context is like you living here in this world, this reality that we're talking about right now forever. Um, if we're talking about, you know, like for those religious individuals that are listening, you know, like the concept of heaven where you are immortal and you don't die. And, you know, if, if we're talking about that, like that, in some regards, you know, at least in some religions, it sounds pretty, pretty nice. It, it sounds like a pretty enjoyable thing to be in, immortal in those kind of situations. But we're talking about here. If you were, if you, never yeah, died, yeah, no, no religion com- completely, um, aside, like aside, just, yeah. just in, in this reality, like go back to like the really cool things in my life. Like for example, you know, when I was in Korea, like working on that song, you know, when we ever we go there, we're like, we're treated like royalty. It's, yeah. it's insane. Like, you know, five star, you know, restaurants and, and, and hotels and everything's free and all that stuff. And, it, and it's really great. And that becomes the norm. Hmm. And then that's not good enough. You know what I mean? And then, and then you come back to reality and you're like, you know, the, there's like that, that dissonance, you know, where, yeah. where you realize, no, that was great. Or, or like, like I was, I was listening to this interview, this, um, this guy um, who who's like this businessman who's like a millionaire. He he was he like he was like he he made like his first few million at like twenty seven. And then he's like, yeah, okay, I can retire now. And then he just like went to a beach, and then he just did that for two months. Like he just laid on a beach and he was miserable. The normalization of your current experience, even if that experience isn't normal, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's like on my YouTube channel. Like when I was first starting out, like you know when I uploaded a video and I got a thousand views in the first month. 
I was like, that's so many people. And that's a healthy perspective to have, you know? And then, and then I remember the first time I got 30,000 views in a day and I was like, that's so many people. And then that became the norm. And then if I didn't get 30,000 views in a day and now I don't get anywhere near that close just because I haven't been as active in mm-hmm. YouTube algorithms and all that, but you know, that becomes the norm. And then when that's the norm, anything lower than that is, you know, unacceptable. And, and, and in certain situations, I feel like that's a healthy perspective to have. And in other situations, I feel like it's an unhealthy perspective to have. And you really got to step back and look at reality and like deconstruct, you know, yeah. your, your current perspective to exist in this reality forever would be you would you wouldn't be happy and and I, I think I don't know so we, we can I, I would love like if anyone who disagrees with me prove me wrong I would love to be proved wrong um, but I, that's my current perspective and like for example the CGB Gray video who had the opposite perspective he gave me his opinion and I completely disagreed that's like what this entire human existence rests on right is just like conflict resolution having it not having it the contrasting you know opposites it's just that's what makes it so that's my opinion ooh. yeah I agree. I, I, I have no cores with that at all. Like that is, that was pretty dang good. You got some good evidence there. There's always, you know, the ultimate consonance, which is birth and the ultimate dissonance, which is death. And in the middle is, is, is a variation of the two, but yeah, but it always resolves to zero, if you will. Mike, thank you so much. Is there any final words that you would like to say to the, to the listeners? No matter what, don't give up. Don't make decisions out of fear and also be smart about the way you pursue your career. Like for example, uh, and, and again, and, and this all depends on what your definition of success is. If your objective is a certain level of success in the music industry, then I think you also have to be smart about that. And what I mean by being smart about that is you have to do your due diligence on the networking and the business side of things. And for, for a lot of us, that's hard and that's not natural and that's not something we yeah. want to do. But too bad. That's life. You, yeah. If if you're if you invent the cure for cancer and you don't tell anybody about it and you just kind of like have it sit there and then you haven't really helped anybody. So you you still have to do your due diligence. You still have to you know network with people. You still have to like for example for me like being and and, and it depends on what you're trying to do. For me the video games that I've done and uh, you know I got those by being in LA you know and I I think there's a certain level of luck. But but we talk about like you know a lot of people say like luck is opportunity meets preparation. And I completely agree with that. I, I think I'm very lucky, but I, I think luck is just opportunity meeting being prepared. And I've had a lot of opportunities that I wasn't prepared for. You know, so the analogy I make is is like, you're kind of waiting for somebody to like throw you, pitch you a baseball. You you know, you miss that baseball and that guy's like, oh, this kid sucks. You know, I'm not going to throw him any more baseballs. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else walks along. He's like, hey, kid, need me to throw you a baseball? And then you're like, yeah, give me a shot. And then he throws you the baseball and then you miss. And then you're like, and then he's like, oh, this kid sucks. I'm not going to throw him any more baseballs. And then you just keep, you know, keep doing that. And then eventually somebody throws you a baseball and you hit it. And they're like, oh, hmm, okay, this kid knows how to hit a baseball. Let me throw him another, right? And then and then you just slowly start to you know hit more and more baseballs. So what, I'm, what I mean by that is like, if you do your due diligence and, and like, if you want to, for example, be a film composer, like you have to be in LA, you know, you cannot be in Kentucky. No one in Kentucky, unless for some reason, Steven Spielberg, you know, is like, I don't know, but like, so, so, you know, you gotta, like in EDM, it's a little different because it's, it's like a global market, yeah. you know, but, um, and, and the, the, uh, well, I mean, movies are obviously a global market. I, I should say it's a global, you know, there, there are events everywhere. You know, movies yeah. are only made in LA basically. Like I, obviously that's not correct. You know, there, there are foreign films and stuff, yeah. but for America, Movies are only made in LA, basically. Um, they're shot in Atlanta and, and Toronto and all that, but they're made in LA. So you got to be in LA. But you know, you're gonna you're gonna be in the room, you know, by just going to events and and by you know random dumb luck. Like literally, uh, like half of the Korea stuff I get through my friend John, and I met John by being his piano teacher on accident. I wasn't good enough to work with him at first, but you know, I was just teaching him piano and then eventually I got good enough and then we started working together, you know, and, and there's been a lot of opportunities. I, you know, I, I would meet person XYZ. I, at the time, wasn't good enough and that opportunity passed me by and it never came back again yeah. and that's okay, you know, so that's going to happen. So, but, but point being is you have to not give up and, and do your due diligence and, and really work on your craft because I, I think, I think there are two types of people who succeed in the music industry. I think there are people who really get it and really grind and are just amazing and you know in terms of music and they also you know grind and and on the networking side of things yeah. and i think there are people who have daddy hand them everything and so if daddy's not gonna hand you everything because <laughs> yeah. i see a lot of that um, if daddy's not gonna hand you everything then you really just have to be that good cool. and it's not that hard to be that good and I, i've said this like to some of my students you know it's not hard to be the best in the world 
To be the best in the world, all you have to do is just work really hard for a long time because 99% of people aren't willing to work really hard for a long time. I completely agree. Not that I'm the best in the world. I really appreciate it. Did you have a good time, man? I did. Thank you for having me, dude. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Dot. We really hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy the questions that we asked or would you have liked to hear different ones? If you're listening to this on iTunes or any other podcast related app, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, make sure to like, comment, and follow. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Dot.